Hello and welcome to the Boiler Upload Podcast. I'm your host, Mike DeFabo. On today's show, we've got a special Music City Bowl preview. The Boilermakers are going to be playing the Auburn Tigers on December 28th in Nashville, Tennessee. And this whole episode is going to be dedicated to getting you ready for that game. We're going to talk with Bryson Hopkins, a Purdue tight end, whose father played for the Tennessee Titans. So this is a little bit of a homecoming for him. He'll talk about what that means to him and also give us some recommendations, including where to get the best Nashville hot chicken. So stick around for that one. Also on today's show, we're going to talk with Jason Caldwell, who's a beat writer covering Auburn for AUTigers.com. He'll tell us about where the Tigers are at coming into this one and give us the full breakdown of their roster and some of the key matchups to watch. But first, let's start today's show from the Purdue perspective, as we usually do. And today we're going to welcome on Matt Stevens from GoldenBlack.com. So obviously now Matt covers Purdue, but he actually previously covered Auburn. So we've been joking that this is the Matt Stevens Bowl, so only fitting to welcome on Matt Stevens to kick things off. So let's start with that first interview right now with Matt. All right, we now welcome back to the show one of our favorite recurring guests. This is Matt Stevens from GoldenBlack.com. Matt, thanks for joining us. I wanted to have you on because you used to cover Auburn, so this is technically the Matt Stevens Bowl, right? Presented by Matt Stevens for the purpose of bringing Matt Stevens back to Nashville, <laughs> one of my favorite cities. So, yeah, I've, I've covered both sides, and uh, I have a decent idea of what I'm going to see on January, or January, December 28th. Mm-hmm. Well, and I had the idea, like, how there's a parade of roses and there's, like, the... You want me to the, be the, uh, the Grand, Grand Marshal of the, of the Music City Bowl, don't you? Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't think I can get up early enough on the morning <laughs> of the 28th to be the Grand Marshal <laughs> of the parade. I know what time the Rose Bowl parade is on in the morning, and I'm, I'm just not that much of a morning mm-hmm. guy to be able to handle that. So, uh, plus, I don't feel like probably getting up on the morning of the 28th that early. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm going to decline that, but I, I appreciate the sentiment. Well, maybe they can just have you flip the coin in midfield or something like that along those lines but all right let's talk a little bit about this matchup Um, but before we talk specifically about the matchup let's just talk about Purdue so you came into Purdue and you cursed them Uh, your first three games on the beat Purdue lost all three of them what did this team show you from that point to be able to rally and get to a bowl you know did did it seem like it was possible that this was a bowl team after losing the first three no it didn't I I I I didn't think that they were a bowl team after they lost to Eastern Michigan I had a a better idea of what Purdue could be potentially even in the loss to Missouri because they showed you know they they showed glimpses of what they can be on both sides of the ball The, the, Mm -hmm. the interception at the end that you thought you know you know and then they go down and they get the field goal, but they get the you know the Jared Sparks what we thought was the Jared Sparks go ahead touchdown. You're but bringing up bad memories. For I know, I know, I am. But the the the, the interception uh, by Smiley at the in that game was was something that you feel like you you saw glimpses of what it could be um, on defense, even in a game where they gave up 40. You obviously saw glimpses of what Jeff Brown's passing offense can be with David Brown or David Blau, uh, you know, setting the school record and doing everything that he did on that Saturday night. So I felt better after the Missouri game, but I, I had no – of course, I predict, predicted to Purdue to lose against Boston College. And they, they from that moment on, I kind of started to see a path for a six-win season. And I think we all kind of did because we knew Nebraska was down. We knew Illinois was down. We knew, you know, some of the we, – we thought Minnesota was down enough that Purdue could go in and win. It was just a matter of being able to defend its home field against some really, really tough opponents and being able to, you know, buy an upset. And they, mm-hmm. they bought that upset with, you know, a 29-point win against Ohio State. And that just turned the tide on everything because I think there was – there from a – from one month to the next, Mike, you, you saw a team that I didn't know when or if they were going to win a game, and then you thought maybe they can win the Big Ten West. Right. And it was it was it was literally like that that mm-hmm. you just saw that happen, and it was on a Saturday night against Ohio State, where I think it all just came together. But but yeah, I, I, after they lost to Eastern Michigan, I, I I had concerns that Jeff might lose the football team, and that this the the big word the bubble word that came out of August was momentum and Purdue didn't have any of it after a a pretty successful first year under Jeff Brom and I was really concerned Mm -hmm. so before the season started I predicted that they would win six games in the regular season and be fighting the last week of the season to get to a bowl game but I would have never predicted the games that Purdue won you know like I would have predicted that Purdue you know, I thought that they would probably split against Boston College and Mizzou, but I, I thought they would beat Eastern Michigan. They did not. I thought that Ohio State would beat them, and obviously Purdue came up with that huge upset. I thought that Purdue, you know, would probably lose to Iowa. They end up beating them. Um, 
you know, it's, it was just an interesting season like that where it was like you could, before the season, predict that it was going to be a six-win team, but the way that they got to the six wins was really kind of unique and different. But, um, all right, let's look ahead. Okay. Let's look ahead. Uh, you are the Auburn guy. Sure. So you had covered Auburn. Uh, let's look a little bit. I want to look at some of the matchups, some of the important matchups. Um, so first of all, the big one Jeff Brom keeps talking about is he keeps saying this game's going to be won or lost in the trenches. So let's start with Auburn's defensive line versus Purdue's offensive line. We know Purdue's offensive line, you know, in my opinion, Purdue's offensive line kind of has gotten the job done, but they're not spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. They get Grant Herman's back, left tackle, that'll be important. What about Auburn's defensive line? How do they match up? I, I- I understand what Jeff's trying to say. If this game's going to be won in the trenches, then Auburn's going to win it. And, and that's that's something that Purdue is going to have to scheme its way out of in order to win this football game. And I think that there's a way to do that, and I definitely think there should be confidence in Jeff Brom and his staff to figure out a way to do this. But to think that Purdue is going to line up and manhandle Auburn on either side of the ball mm-hmm. is just a fallacy. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Like Auburn recruits too many four- and five-star guys. Rodney Garner, their defensive line, coach has been doing this for over 20 years in the southeastern conference and he's one of the best at recruiting big massive kids that are 18 and 19 when they get on campus and you look at him and you go darn that kid's ready to play right now i looked Mm -hmm. at Derek brown the minute that he walked on campus about you know 30 minutes from auburn's campus yeah from 30 from auburn's campus a five-star guy a cornerstone of auburn's recruiting class that year and he was ready to play right then right now you got a guy like marlon davidson who i saw in high school in montgomery alabama before he left and went back to greenville after his mom uh tragically passed away he was a monster in his sophomore year at high school at Montgomery Carver High School. He was the first guy at Auburn to start on the D-line as a freshman since 1985. And that that is an extraordinary feat if you think about it, but then you understand that his older brother, Kenny Carter, was you know a, a pretty good player at Auburn, and he had the foundation there to be a great player. They have a guy who I think is an underrated potential NFL guy in Dontavious Russell, who's a four-year starter at Auburn. He's done everything the coaches have asked him to do. And, and you know, Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator at Auburn, who I think is one of the more old-school and, and traditionally solid coaches in the SEC um, and has saved Gus Malzahn's backside by being a great defensive coach and great defensive play caller. He loves Don Tavius. He loves Don with his ability to do essentially what Lorenzo Neal does for Purdue, which is be that nose tackle but also be able to get vertically up the field sometimes in the pass game. Um, and they, they have an ability to rotate, I would say, six or seven guys of NFL potential quality at Purdue on a constant basis. I have absolutely no idea how Kirk Barron is going to be able to uh, be able to block Derek Brown one-on-one. And if they ask him to do it constantly, he's outmanned. And I think Kirk can actually get to an NFL training camp after this game, but he's outmanned with Derek, Derek Brown. I, I, I don't know how many versions of Todd McShay's mock draft he's already done, but I saw 1.0 and Derek Brown's in the first round, and that's exactly where I would have him. Mm-hmm. They have to be able to neutralize number five on the inside. If they don't do that with either double-team blocks or chips with the tailback, um, then you know David Blau's going to be on his backside or he's going to be scrambling all day long. They have to move the pocket for David, too. I don't think that Auburn's going to be able to, or uh, Purdue's going to be able to win this matchup. Auburn's going to dominate this matchup, but there's ways that they can figure it out to, to, to get David time and get David angles to throw the deep ball. Mm-hmm. So in short, you're giving the edge pretty clearly to Auburn. Jimmy defensive the Greek line. check mark goes to Auburn defensive line on that one. I do think Purdue's going to fight. I do think that they they have solid kids that are smart that understand what you know the coaches are trying to explain to them and how to get it scheme wise. But in terms of physicality and in terms of athleticism, they're outmanned. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's move on to the next matchup. Okay. Uh, the next matchup is Purdue's passing game versus Auburn's secondary. So obviously, Purdue is a passing team. They're top ten in passing yards in the country right now. Uh, you know, obviously, this is the cradle of quarterbacks. They've got the quarterback calling the plays and Jeff Brom. It all starts with Purdue, I think, with the passing game. How do they match up against Auburn's secondary? If David Blau has enough time, I believe there is a physical matchup advantage or at least an even even matchup on the outside for Purdue um, against Auburn. 
you wouldn't think that Purdue has enough skill guys to match up with Auburn. You would think that would be where Purdue would be deficient. And it's actually kind of flipped. I think an Isaac Zico, I think a Terry Wright, I think a Jared Sparks physically actually matches up just fine with one of Auburn's two corners, which is Jeremiah Denson, who's six foot tall and 190 pounds. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have another corner. um, uh, uh, His last name is Davis, and he is five foot nine and 190 pounds. And so from that standpoint, if if there's going to be ways for a Jared Sparks to be open on that out route, there's going to be spots where Terry Wright like he did against Iowa, to find seams and to find that nine route every now and again. Isaac Zico and those jump balls that David Blau completed a lot of this year, those are going to be there if David has enough time. And I think that that's going to be key. Um, Javaris Davis is the, is the other corner. The one thing they're going to have to avoid is they have a, they have a corner – on, uh, I think it's the right side, is Jamel Dean. Uh, he was an Ohio State signee that medically didn't clear for them and they couldn't bring him in. Auburn brought him in immediately. He's six foot two, he's 215 pounds. They do not have an advantage there. And I think they're going to have to avoid challenging him as much as possible. But there's two ways that I think Purdue has an advantage in this football game. One is I think throwing the deep ball to bigger, lankier, maybe more physically aggressive receivers. And I don't feel like Auburn is any different than anybody else that Purdue has faced. They do not have a way to stop Rondell Moore. Mm-hmm. If you want to bracket him with a linebacker and a safety, that won't work. If you want to put Javaris, if you want to put Javaris Davis on him, it won't work. If you, the only way I could see it working is if they were to put like a Jamel Dean or even a Jeremiah Denson on him one-on-one. And at that point, you're allowing guys like Bryson Hopkins to go one-on-one with a linebacker, and that's exactly the matchup Purdue wants. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's flip over now to the other side. Uh, you know, what's for, let me first ask you a question just about Gus Malzahn. I mean, he, he wrote a book even on offense, sure so did. he kind of built his reputation. I asked Jeff Brom if he was planning to write a book about offense, and he said no. Um, but just what, what defines this offense, first of all, before I ask you about who has the edge? It's funny because uh, this offense has seen so many amalgamations in the last two and a half years. Oh, great be- word. Because of what Gus has decided to do and now what he's now he's in the past and what he's now going to do in the present and in the future. And I know that doesn't make a lot of sense, so let me try to break it down. Two years ago, Gus Malzahn held a press conference before a basketball game and said, I'm hanging up my clipboard, which is his high school version of saying, I'm not calling plays anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that Waffle House menu that he carries around with right. him, he, doesn't, he didn't have it. And so he hired a guy named Chip Lindsay to call plays. And Chip comes in from, you know, obviously being a grad assistant from Auburn and then being an assistant under Todd Graham at Arizona State. But he has some some you know spread offense tendencies he has some air raid tendencies so they bring in Jared Stedham as a quarterback from Baylor um, and they start slinging it around a little bit and the funny part about it is is when Gus Malzahn was making his name for himself and he was doing the hurry up no huddle and he was writing the book he was an Arkansas high school football coach that threw it all around the parking lot with you know a guy named Rhett Lashley who ended up being one of his assistant coaches at Auburn who's now an uh, a offensive coordinator at SMU, but he still holds all the Arkansas passing records, high school passing records. Um, once he got to college, he amalgamated he, – he, he changed himself into this, this wing T running guy, which was kind of weird. And then that's what he, that's what he you know, basically brought to Auburn, which was we're going to run it with Trey Mason and um, you know, running backs like that 40, 45 times. Trey Mason carried the ball 40 times in the SEC championship game and 35 times in the, in the national championship game. And you guys remember that he was, he was a Heisman candidate in the last month of the season because of the production he had. Mm-hmm. Um, Malzahn has had a 1,000-yard tailback each of the last 10 seasons. Nobody else has come close to that time of mark, and he won't have one this year. And then we get to this year where it's the Waffle House menu is back in the middle of this year. We, we start to see that he's starting to call plays. He's not 20 yards back now. He's at the line of scrimmage again. And it, it, it just it, the whole thing didn't work because now he's button heads with his offensive coordinator that he brought in. And right. it's just been a complete disaster. And that's why you've seen what you've seen out of Auburn, which is a 7-5 and five season, a team that can't run the football, that doesn't have an interior offensive line that's really all that great. And you haven't done a great job of protecting your quarterback that you that you so wanted so badly to come in, mm-hmm. and it's been the giant drop off from an SEC West champion, and and you know basically being two quarters away from 
being in the college football playoff last year to a seven and five season that in all accounts everybody at Auburn would like Gus Malzahn to pack his bags and go home right. and that's what you're seeing and now what you're seeing in the Music City Bowl quickly to wrap this up is that Gus Malzahn is going to call plays he's actually going to admit to the public that he's calling plays and the Waffle House menu will be out and he's going to call plays and I think what you're going to see is you're going to you're going to see him try to establish what he wants to do and get back to what he thinks Auburn ought to be which is a running team the problem is I'm not sure he has the personnel to do it and right. so I think that that could be a major advantage for Purdue to have well, let's, not, have, let's this, go not to, have this controversy going into the game yeah let's let's go into that then okay so uh, the, so you started to talk about how important it is for Auburn to run the football so let's look at the matchup between Auburn's offensive line versus Purdue's defensive line from the Purdue perspective, it's kind of interesting. They're going to be without two of their better defensive linemen. They're going to be missing uh, Lorenzo Neal, their star nose tackle, who's missing the game because he tore his ACL. Mm-hmm. Kiwan Jones, it looks like, is also not going to be playing in this game. So Purdue has had to shuffle some pieces around. They've got Giovanni Revere moving from defensive end to defensive t- uh, tackle. Um, they're also moving Anthony Watts from defensive tackle to nose tackle. Uh, and they've even gone so far as to take Baruz Yakubi, who is an offensive guard, and move him over to the defensive side a little bit just to add some depth over there in case some guys get hurt or need to be spelled. So a lot of changes on Purdue's defensive line. How do they match up against this Auburn offensive line? I think it's it's so unfortunate that Lowe is not playing in this game. I think Lorenzo Neal would have had an opportunity to have a major impact on this football game. Again, because I'm just not buying Auburn's interior offensive line. It's as, it's as weak as I've ever seen it, and I think Lowe could get vertically up the field in this game if he were playing. Having said that, I agree with Nick Holt that you're playing guys now in a position that you probably wanted to play them you know, later on in life, and you're probably getting this started quicker, but it's a more natural position. I think Anthony Anthony Watts feels more natural at nose, nose tackle. He might not have the size yet to be there prototypically, but I think he can have an impact because of his athleticism and because of his ways of, of disrupting plays, not only in the run game but in the pass game, mm-hmm. um, with his athleticism. I think Giovanni, they've wanted Giovanni Revere to be a defensive tackle for a long, long time. They just didn't have anybody else at end that they could feel confident about, and so they put him at end. Um, I like the idea of putting Jeff Marks at end, which is what they've done in this preseason mm-hmm. camp. I think he's a big physical guy that can set the edge in the run game, and that's going to be so critical for this game. I also like that I think they're going to use Derek Barnes at that Leo a lot more right, than they have in the, bit, yeah. in, the, in the regular season. The problem with Purdue is that they really came into the year with probably three guys that they felt good about at the linebacker position. I would say maybe got to three and a half, maybe four with the emergence of Jalen Alexander, and that's it. Yeah. So you can't take Derek Barnes away from that and put him at the position that I think he was best at this year. And on third downs at Leo, when he would come out, he would take uh, Kai, they would take Kai Higgins out, put him at Leo, and have like that 4-2-5 third down situation. Right. He was getting to the quarterback. I think they're going to do that more this, the, the, this on, in this bowl game, and I think he's going to have an impact because, honestly, you see these SEC teams that get after the quarterback. That guy on the end is a 255, 60-pound guy. He's not a 300-pound monster. Mm-hmm. He, they're just trying to ver, you know, vertically get up the field and get past you know, athletically that, that left tackle. I think he's going to be able to do that. I think Nick Holt's going to have to design some pretty exotic blitzes in order to get to Jared Stidham because if you get to Jared Stidham, he has proven throughout his entire career, whether it's been his freshman year at Baylor or the two seasons at Auburn, that if you get in his face and you rattle him, his completion percentage drops by at least 30%. It goes from about 70% to about 42 The last time Purdue saw a quarterback like that, it was Dwayne Haskins, who had the same kind of stats. Purdue got after him a little bit, not get him to the ground, but get after him a little bit, oh, yeah. and the accuracy went unbelievably poor, especially right. in the red zone. And if Auburn's kicking field goals on December 28th, Purdue's going to win the football game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point about Purdue's matchup against Ohio State. I mean, it felt like Purdue was bringing every type of blitz possible. I mean, they were bringing their safety blitzes. They were bringing double-A gap blitzes. They were bringing corners. So maybe a similar strategy. We'll have to see what happens here. Yeah, the only difference being quickly is that I think that you're going to have to respect Auburn's running game right. a little bit more than Ohio State's. But I think it can be the same kind of thing where – this is a game for Nick Holt to get really, really creative and to have his type of game because what do you got to lose? You're not playing anybody else anymore. Throw the kitchen sink at him. And, oh, by the way, I think that if it, the, on, the, the, uh, the, the other 
I would say, factor in this football game is that I think Jacob Thieneman being at full health for this football game is going to help Auburn in the run game. And I think that you're not going to see Jonathan guys like Jonathan Taylor in Minnesota run all over Auburn in this football game. And if they can control that with Auburn and they can get them in third-down situations where Jared Stidham has to make a play, I like their chances. Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of uh, segues into our final matchup. And that's uh, Purdue secondary versus Auburn's passing game. So Purdue secondary has been, I, I would say, underwhelming this season. I mean, uh, back if you go back as far as spring football of last year, Jeff Brown was talking about how he really liked his secondary and he thought that the secondary was going to be the strength of the defense. Uh, as it turned out, you know, it seemed whether it was because of scheme or whether it was because of just execution, uh, I don't think that Purdue's secondary or passing defense was particularly good this season. Um, you know, I, I think Jacob Thieneman is a fantastic player, but other guys have rotated in at the corner positions. You know, seeing their ups and downs, how do they match up against Auburn's passing game? Auburn doesn't have the down. You, the problem with Purdue's secondary quickly is that I think Auburn has a speed advantage. They have a kid named Anthony Schwartz, who I think is going to be basically on the Olympic U.S. You know, Olympic track and field team in, in, in the 100 yard dash. He's going to win. He's going to have an opportunity to win medals in an Olympics. He just happens to like football. Um, mm-hmm. They have a speed advantage there. They have a speed advantage um, with. Uh, you know, a guy like Darius Slayton, who had a big year last year, hasn't had a big year this year, but again, because they haven't been able to protect Jared Stidham enough to get him the football. Uh, they have a guy named Ryan Davis, who you've seen this week. You and I have both seen Tyler Hamilton, a, red, a, a, a reserve wide receiver, wear number five. Yeah. Well, Ryan Davis is number five. He will leave Auburn as the, as the all-time leader in receptions, which when you think about all the receivers they've had at Auburn, that's pretty darn impressive. The thing about Ryan Davis is, is the yards after a catch are almost non-existent for a guy that's five foot nine and 180 pounds. He's the oppo Rondell Moore. Mm-hmm. He catches the ball, and it's basically over with at that point. You know, last year... Uh, Mike, he had, I think it was some sort of ridiculous, like 80, 90, almost 100 catches. But he averaged like six yards a catch. You know, and so the yards after the catch weren't there. They use him over the middle. They use him on those bubble screens. They use him on those line of scrimmage screens where they just throw him the ball and then they ask him to go get five or six yards. Right. It's a, it's a, you know, modified run play essentially to Ryan Davis. Right. They'll use him on that, on those types of things. They don't use the tight end nearly enough that I think they should, and that's partly because they don't recruit tight ends well enough and that they, they, don't, they haven't had one since, you know, the, the, they haven't had one since Cam Newton's year um, and the late Philip Lutzenkirchen for when they won the national title in 2010. And Gus has just been really, really lackadaisical in how he recruits that position. So it's going to have to come from the wide receiver position. I think one of the X elements is going to be which one of the freshmen can, can emerge in a game like this for Auburn. Uh, they have a kid named uh, Cedric Jackson, who is the nephew of Bo Jackson, yeah. uh, comes from Hoover High School. He's a, he's a solid kid that I've seen since he was junior year of high school. Uh, he'll be a really good player. I, can he make a difference in, in this football game? But the, the idea that Jared Stidham has all of these weapons that he can throw to is, is kind of a fallacy. I do think that Auburn has a speed advantage. I do not think they have a physicality advantage. The key for Purdue, and I agree with your assessment early in the year about this Purdue secondary, but they cannot allow people to get behind them. I feel like the veterans on this in this secondary, especially at corner, have been have been below average this year. I feel like Tim Kaysen and, and um, Antonio Blackman have allowed teams to get behind them in the past game and have really put a lot of pressure on guys like Simeon Smiley, Navon Mosley, and Jacob Thieneman, and Brennan Thieneman for that mm-hmm. matter. Um, that's when you've seen Purdue get beat, and it's also because they can't get to the quarterback enough. Um, but I, I do feel like that if, ever, if Purdue can keep everybody in front of them, I think they'll be just fine. But if Auburn is able to get get by them and get into the third level of the defense and use their speed and throw that nine uh, throw that nine route, Jared Stidham's got the arm to, to be able to to manipulate that. And I feel like that that Auburn can take advantage of that, especially if they can establish the run. If they can't establish the run, then I think Purdue secondary has enough smart kids in the back and veterans that have played enough football that are going to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. All right. So to recap. Purdue O-line versus Auburn D-line, you're giving the edge to? It's a massive advantage to Purdue's, or to, for uh, Auburn's defensive line athletically and okay. physicality. Okay. What about, uh, to recap, Purdue passing game versus Auburn secondary? Uh, based off of what I saw in the, ten- in the game they lost against Tennessee and in the game that they allowed Tua to just go nuts in the second half, I think Purdue's got a chance. Okay. Purdue defensive line versus Auburn offensive line? 
Interior-wise, I think Purdue's going to do all right. I think on the outsides at, at end and, and at Leo, I think that Auburn's left tackle, Prince Tega Wanehu, um, and, and, their, and their right tackle, whoever they decide to put there, um, it's probably going to be a transfer from UMass. I think they have an edge there. I think Purdue's going to have a really hard time getting to the quarterback off the edges. But interior-wise, I think it's at least a, 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 an a, a even matchup and may even side even toward Purdue, even without Lorenzo Neal. And finally, Auburn's passing game versus Purdue's pass defense. Depends on if Auburn can establish the run. If Auburn can't establish the run, it's a major advantage for Purdue. If Auburn can establish the run, I think that Jared Stedham picks them apart and I think opens some eyes for some NFL draft people. But I think the key for Gus Malzahn's offense has always been and always will be first down. If they get yards on first down and he starts wagging his finger and saying, hey, run that again, mm-hmm. then Purdue's in trouble. Mm-hmm. All right, finally, uh, Purdue media and podcasters versus Auburn media and podcasters since you've been on both sides of it? Uh, I have friends on the Purdue beat, but outside with Purdue, I tend to get along with the people at Purdue a little bit uh, more than I get along with the people at Auburn. All right. The access is better at Purdue. I can, pro- I can, pro- I can promise you that. In the sideline conversations when we're standing around watching practice and standing outside of practice when they kick us out uh, while we're waiting for interviews. Fantastic. The, in, the inside jokes at Purdue are extremely a heck of a lot better than the inside <laughs> jokes at Auburn. There we go, man. All right. Well, this was Matt Stevens. Look for him at the Matt Stevens Bowl at the 50-yard line presenting the trophy after the game. Uh, Matt, thanks so much for being on. Looking forward to seeing you in Nashville. Not a problem, Mike. See you. My thanks once again to Matt Stevens for joining us on the show. All right, let's move on to our centerpiece, and that's an interview with Bryson Hopkins, a Purdue tight end. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Bryson has an interesting connection to this bowl game. His father, Brad Hopkins, actually played for the Houston Oilers slash uh, Tennessee Titans from 1993 to 2005. He was a first-round draft pick out of Illinois as an offensive lineman uh, and became a two-time Pro Bowler in 2000 and 2003, and he was an All-Pro in year 2000. Um, So obviously Bryson inherited some of those genes, but as he'll talk about in this episode, he started out, he wanted to be a basketball player, and it wasn't until late in high school when he decided to flip over and pursue football. He's become a pretty good tight end for the Boilermakers. Uh, right now, he's third on the team in receiving. He's caught 32 passes for 564 yards and a pair of touchdowns. He'll talk all about his background and also about Nashville in this episode. I want to apologize in advance. The sound quality is a little brutal. The offensive lineman decided to start hitting the sled right as I started interviewing Bryson. So bear with me on the sound quality on this one. I think the content's good even if the sound quality is not the best. So let's move on to that interview with Bryson Hopkins. All right, we now welcome onto the show Purdue tight end Bryson Hopkins. Uh, Bryson, so you, you grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, is that right? Yeah, I grew up uh, just right outside Nashville in Franklin, Tennessee, but a lot of my time was spent in the city as well. So, yeah. Right. So what was your reaction when you heard that you guys were going to the Music City Bowl? Uh, I'm going home. That's about it. Uh, I, I just get to see all my family and friends. Usually about this time we'll be somewhere completely different, and uh, I'll only get to see my mom maybe if she comes to the game and my dad, but now my whole family and uh all my relatives will be there. Uh, it'll be a great time. So how many tickets do you think you're going to need? I couldn't tell. Probably 25, but I'm not going to get anywhere close to that. So I'm just going to have to get as many as I can, and the rest of people are going to have to understand that they've got to buy <laughs> right. tickets. Yeah. So, so people who don't know, uh, you've got a connection to not only – Nashville, Tennessee, but also the Tennessee Titans as well. Can you yep. can you tell people a little bit about that? Um, yeah, so my dad, uh, he used to play for the Oilers, and then they uh, they changed to the Titans um, 2000. Uh, so right. he used to play on that field. He played for 13 years. Uh, it's going to be a great opportunity for me to uh, go out there and play on the same field he played on. So it's uh, it's got sentimental value for me. Uh, my dad's really happy to see me do that, of course. He's proud of me. Uh, and it's just a chance that not very many people get to mm-hmm. uh, experience. So. so so when you were growing up, do you were you old enough to watch your dad play on that field and do you remember anything about it? Yeah, uh, I'd always be uh, probably like four rows up, sideline seats, just watching him play. And then after the game, he'd come over, he'd pick me up over the rail, and then I'd get to go in the locker room. Uh, that That's was fun cool. sometimes, yeah. Except when you're young and you see a bunch of like naked dudes, it's weird, but it was cool. It was cool. Yeah. Some massive dudes yeah, in there. They were pretty big. There's some big dudes. So, uh, 
So what's it like growing up with a, with a father that's uh, playing in the NFL? I'm sure that's a little bit of a different experience. Yeah, um, it's, it's, a diff- it's different, of course, but um, I'd say it has its ups and downs. There's challenges, you know, people expecting you to be someone that you might not want to be. But it, it was all love for my dad. He, he just wanted me to do whatever made me happy. He didn't pressure me into doing anything. So, of course, I got recognition for being the son of Brett Hopkins. But right. uh, it was up to me to differentiate myself and, and to show that I I'm my own set person, and, and nothing's wrong with being the son of Brad Hopkins. I love it, and I'm proud of it, and I'm proud of him. But, you know, I, I just show people that I, I, I'm going to make my own name for myself. Right. So, yeah. so how about growing up? Did that, did that influence your decisions of, like, which sports to play and stuff like that? Did you want to forge your own path and play? Because you were originally a basketball player. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did want to forge my own my own path. I, I never even really thought to play football. I will not lie. Like, I didn't think about going to college to play football until I got my first offer, which was from here. Mm-hmm. So I never even put it, it wasn't even in my head. I just thought, hey, maybe I'll just go out and try it. But, um, yeah, he, he didn't pressure me to do anything. I played baseball, basketball. That's really all I stuck to. And then one day I decided to go out and play football, and he was happy to hear it, of course. Uh, and it worked out right. well, as you can see here. Right. So what was it your what year in high school were you in when you finally went out for the football team? Uh, junior year, my junior year of high school. Yeah, that was my first spring ball when I went out. It was very different from what I was used to on the courts and on the baseball field. But uh, I got a hang of it. It was, it was fun. It was frustrating, very frustrating. I was getting mad a lot because I just didn't know what was going on. But you got to stick with it. I almost quit. Did you really? Yeah, I almost quit. I didn't come one day in a summer camp, so that's when it gets tough. And I'm like, man, this is stupid. I've never done this before. And I just stayed. I, I didn't even come to practice. And my head coach called me, and he said, um, look, I know it's hard, stuff like that, but, but I think you could really be good at, at this sport if you gave it a shot. I think you should come back and, and just stick with it, and uh, I'll help you, and we'll help you get through it and stuff. And, and I said, okay, like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll try it again. And, and you know, stuff with it. I have a good support system there at Innsworth. Uh, so, yeah, that's how I'm here now. That's pretty cool. So, almost gave it up and now. Yeah, almost gave I'm it sure up David Blau's happy about that. <laughs> David, David is happy, yeah. yeah we're all happy. I, I'm glad I'm here. I'm, I, I made the right decision up till now. So, when, when you were first learning football, what was the toughest part? I would just say terms, like the athleticism part came naturally, of course, and then and then all the terms, like, like the terminology they use that you're supposed to understand, like especially playing both sides of the ball in high school. Like right now, mm-hmm. I get to focus on offense, but playing both sides, you have to know what to do on both sides, where to be, who to who to block, uh, what routes to run. It was just all like nothing I had ever experienced. It was, it was too much. Uh, you, I was thinking too much in the field, which is a problem I have sometimes. But I'm getting better, as, as I've said before. I'm getting better at just moving uh, right naturally and not thinking as much. But right. that, that was really the biggest part was just me thinking too much and making it harder on myself if, than it actually was. If you need some help on not thinking, I'm good at that. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think very thinking. much. I know a few people that are good at not thinking. Right. <laughs> um, okay, well, let me ask you some questions about Nashville. So it's actually going to be my first time oh, visiting yeah? there. So yeah. what, what would you recommend in terms of, like, what, what what places do I got to see? Where do I got to uh, eat? Where do I got to well, watch some music? You got to see where... Okay, so of course you got to hit Broadway, right? That's Broadway. the main street downtown. It's where all the bars, live music and stuff. And there are a few restaurants uh, that you can eat at. But it's mostly a bar scene, but it's a live music scene. You can do whatever you want, whatever time of the day. Um, I'd say you got to go to Hattie B's downtown. What's that? It's like a, it, they're just known for really good chicken. It's a restaurant. It's like almost fine dining fried chicken. It's okay. Like, it's really it's really southern thing. But I like that. There's always an hour wait, so you got to get there, you know, early or something like that, or at least make a reservation. Oh, you can't even make reservations. You just got to wait. You got to wait an hour. Yeah. Okay. Go in there, put your name down, go down to the bars, and then come back. Yeah. Uh, where we're staying at, which is Opryland, that's pretty cool. It's basically a huge mall, and then they've got a whole bunch of events like uh, that ice sculpture that some places do, like where they do a whole bunch of scenes and you can walk through. And, mm-hmm. uh, they do that. They've got like a water park type area. Uh, it's a, basically a huge mall with a bunch of restaurants. And I'd say really just go where I'm from in Franklin. You just gotta go. You just gotta drive through that area. It's just beautiful. Like mm-hmm. it's Nashville. It's like probably 20 minutes outside. It's not, right. it's not that bad, but. So what's with uh, I've heard of Nashville hot chicken. Yeah, that's what's that? That's Hattie B's. That. So what is hot chicken? It's just spicy chicken. But it, but it, it's. 
it's like the, it's like the best chicken that you're ever going to have in your life. That's why everyone talks about it, and you just got to go to experience it. Okay. And that, that's why there's a wait for it all the time. Okay. It'll be worth it. What about, okay, so this is called the Music City Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what kind of music would we find you listening to, like, pregame or See, in general? Yeah, it's called the Music City Bowl, and it's like, uh, you know, home of country music. Right. I don't really... I get into that sometimes, you know, when I'm with my country music friends, but most of the time I stick to my, my rap and, and whatever I, I can listen to to get me pumped up before the game. So it'll probably be rap, you know, some little babies, Drake, I don't know, something like that, Gunna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's about get it. fired up. Yeah, get fired Mo up. Mo Bamba? Yeah, Mo Bamba for sure. It's a little played out, but if we, if we get that dub and they play it, then I'm fine with it. Yeah. Right. So for, for the older people like me, can you explain the Mo Bamba phenomenon? You know what? I, I honestly couldn't tell you. I think it really started at Ohio State when we beat him, and that was just a song that happened to be playing, and they knew everyone liked it, and it just stuck. And now everyone thinks, like, oh, when you play that song, everyone's going crazy in the stand, which we love it, of course. We love right. it. That was crazy to see. But uh, And now I saw they're starting to do it at other schools, too. But I think I, the first time I saw it was here. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, I think it was just chance that, that it happened. It's a good song. Mm-hmm. Well, how about, uh, okay, so with you being from the, the whole Tennessee area, have, um, are you going to, you plan to like host some teammates then before, the, uh, you think you'll be able to get some teammates home to your place before the game? Oh, yeah, or? of course. Me and a few teammates made the trip over the summer when we had some time off just to hang out and my mom made dinner and stuff like that. We'll probably um, go out there and my mom will do the same thing. We'll have a big dinner, you know, overdo it, just, just how she usually does. But, uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. I'll get him out there with my family. Except for Cornell Jones. He probably won't He's too much. Yeah, he's too much, exactly. Excessive. Yeah. <laughs> he just poked his head in here. That's why he <laughs> yeah, was saying that. Um, okay, let me ask you uh, a couple rapid-fire questions, yeah. and then I'll let you go. Okay, so, um, first of all, who is your favorite Brom, if you were to pick one? My favorite Brom? Gotta go with Headman Jeff. Jeff. He's the one that gets me the ball. And and, and Brian Brown, of course, does it too. He's the quarterback's coach and co offensive coordinator. So those are my favorite bronze. Greg, okay. Greg does a good job of getting us in trouble or, or keeping us out of trouble. And, and, and Brady does the same thing. But I gotta go with the, the two that get me the ball the most. Okay. Brian and Jeff, yeah. Okay. Terry Wright stopping by. Terry, what's, what's up? up? What's up? <laughs> Man, don't deep in your voice now. No, I just had to come. Oh, what's up? I just wanted to jump in and get on the mic one time. Oh, yeah, okay. how about, you yeah, know, Santino. Yeah. Nine. Go and ask yeah. a question, Terry. You okay, questions? you know, because I always do this to Coach John, so yeah. I pop up and ask one question. Yeah, so ahead. how you feel about the bowl game? You going, you know, you from uh, <laughs> Innsworth. Yeah, Innsworth. Uh, yeah, you know Tennessee, that. you from yeah. that area. So yeah. uh, how do you feel about going back home and, um, all right, I've been asked in. this eight times now. But, well, uh, well, let me change the question then. <laughs> let me ask you a question, Terry. Okay. What kind of music do you like since it's the Music City Bowl? Uh, yeah, please tell me. He's eating an ice cream sandwich right here, yeah, Joe. Okay, doing. I'm more of a, I got, I'm like a community of music. Community I'm more of, of like hip hop, jazz. I throw a little country, like probably two songs of country. <laughs> But I take some R and B over anything. Oh uh, yeah, of course. R and B. Early two thousands R and B. Right, too? early two thousands R and B. I'm 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 sold on it. Yeah. So Terry, who who's the best dancer on the team? Because I always ask guys that question. I, I find myself pretty good as a dancer. Yeah, yeah. But um. Carry the senior podcast. <laughs> oh, I feel okay. like Ozzy my name is, is Jared great. Sparks. Um, is I'm oh the cutest. God, I'm the cutest guy on the team. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. The cutest. I do have a lot of female listeners. Uh, all right, good. Yeah, they know them, man. <laughs> all right, but yeah. All right, what was the question? Again? Uh, second question. Yeah. Uh, you know Triple X. You ever been there? The, yeah, the yeah. diner. Yeah. So they got like the Drew Brees special, mm-hmm. stuff like that. They got the Ryan Kerrigan special. Yeah. You have a couple, couple nice seasons here. They want to name something after you. Oh, oh. Uh, what, 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 what would the meal be? What are you gonna have? Oh God. Okay. So we're gonna put. Oh my gosh. This is gonna be a weird meal. This is gonna be a breakfast and dinner meal. All right. So we're gonna get a burger. And we're gonna get the mac and cheese, and we're gonna get a fried egg and ketchup. Oh, ketchup on it? You gotta put the ketchup oh. on it. Though. It's weird. Okay. But you gotta put the ketchup on it. It gives it a little tangy taste, you know? Uh, but yeah, you gotta put bacon, fried egg, macaroni, ketchup. So you can have that. Egg. That would be a Medium good, like, well. 3 a.m. kind of meal, yeah, I think. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Plus, you get a waffle or a pancake, your decision with peanut butter and chocolate chips. So. I like that. Yeah. I like It'd be that. A weird okay. Combo, but, okay. Yeah. How about um, is Terry Wright the best dancer on the team? 
I would say Terry's pretty good. Kiwan Jones, pretty good. Other people, they like to hype him up. They're not very good, but they think they are because we just like to gas them up. I'd say Terry and Kiwan, pretty good. Yeah. Okay. How about uh, what's your favorite trick play you guys have run? You know, if I was the one that scored on Cash 38, it was Cole. I would say Cash 38, but... Is that the double reverse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cash 38? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Oh, breaking news here. Yeah, don't, don't report that. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, don't put that in what about, uh, what about the uh, Jeff Brown gave away the six-pack name for the the one that sparks through the touchdown? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a good play. I mean, I just need it. The first play that – the first trick play that I score on, that'll be my favorite. That'll be your yeah, favorite? that'll be my favorite one, yeah, of course. Okay, how about uh, – if you weren't playing football, what would you do? I would stream video games on Twitch. Yeah? Yeah. You're a video game guy? Oh, yeah. I love video games. I'm pretty good at it, you know. I gotta, I can't get as much time in playing video games because I play sports, and, and sometimes I'm just too tired to even do it. But if I was doing nothing, I'd just work out, play video games, try to get paid to play video games. Esports, man. Yeah, exactly. That's it's it's coming that's up. That's the life. That's the life. There you go. All right, man. All right. That's all I got. Thank Appreciate you for the time. You. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. My thanks once again to Bryson Hopkins for being on the show. All right, now that we have things handled from a Purdue perspective, let's flip things over and see how things are going in Auburn, Alabama. And to do so, we're going to talk with Jason Caldwell. Uh, Jason covers the Tigers for AUTigers.com. He'll give us the full breakdown and scouting report. So let's get to that final interview right now with Jason. All right, we now welcome onto the show Jason Caldwell, who covers Auburn for AUTigers.com. Jason, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Um, First question for you. So I think up here in West Lafayette, Purdue fans were happy to pretty much go to any bowl game. Um, but I'm sure expectations are a little bit different at Auburn. They were ranked as high as number seven in the country. How do they feel about uh, a seven and five season and going to the Music City Bowl? Yeah, obviously, uh, you look at it, uh, preseason top 10 team and BB Washington right out of the gate uh, in the season opener and uh, in the Chick fil A uh, kickoff classic in Atlanta. So you. You, you think, okay, this season has a chance to be a special one and, and uh, you know, lose a close game against LSU at home. And that really kind of set set the wheels in motion then. This team really, from that Washington game on, <coughs> not only did not improve, you know, they, uh, they really got worse in some areas. So that's something I think you look at from this team. It's definitely a disappointing season. And when you're, uh, you know, you're talking about seven and five, but when you're in this state, um, you know, Purdue fans can, you know, the longtime Purdue fans will think about it. And obviously this, this season brings it back a little bit with Notre Dame doing what they did. But, you know, when you've got right now the, the premier program in college football and a team that's on a run like nobody's ever seen, you know, what Alabama's doing, it makes a seven and five season that much more painful when you look at, at what your rivals have done uh, the last couple of years in the landscape of college football. Mm-hmm. So with that said, you know, is it fair to say that Gus Malzahn's on the hot seat or, and if he is, can you please tell me what exactly is the temperature of the hot seat? And if you could rate, uh, round your answer to the nearest 10th of a decimal point, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, you know, no, no question. Um, you know, I, I think there were, um, discussions had about whether or not he would return, even though he had, uh, a, you know, more than a $30 million buyout. That tells you how serious I think the situation was in the end. Um, you know, there's a change in offensive coordinator. Uh, and, and so, you know, for the bowl game, it won't really have an impact because Gus Malzahn will be, he'll be called the plays. It's going to be him as the play caller uh, in the bowl game. So we'll see how, that much that impacts he was doing some of that at the end of the year anyway now it'll be fully him uh it'll be on him moving forward so i think you look at at, at a hot seat um obviously you know nothing's going to be done now i think nowadays you look at if there's going to be a change made it's going to be made you know following the regular season before the early signing period those kind of things but i think you look now going into next season and uh i don't know what the percentages are but i would say that uh it's going to be really warm, um, you know, for Gus Malzahn heading into 2019. Mm-hmm. So you, you alluded to it a little bit, talking about the change at offensive coordinator. Uh, can you kind of catch people up on that? What was the change at offensive coordinator, and how do you expect that to influence the play calling going forward? Yeah, um, I, I think it's a matter of Gus Malzahn just 
he said he you know he he kind of got into this business being a play caller and being the person who who runs the offense and I think at different times uh, really in the last four or five years at Auburn he's tried to to kind of turn it over to an offensive coordinator let them be the, the play caller and in the end I think it's just too much in his blood and so I think he's going to get back to that uh, starting in 2019 um, you know, I think you're looking um, it'll start in this bowl game it's something he's done a lot of um, be that primary play caller he'll get back to it in a bowl game and obviously that'll get him ready for 2019 but I think it's just simply a guy that and in the end, wants control of the offense. And then, and if that's the case, and we see it a lot in the NFL. I think almost half of the teams mm-hmm. have a head coach who is the play caller for his team on offense. And so it's not something that's unusual. But I think for him, it's something that if that's what he believes in and those are his roots, then he needs to get back to it. Mm-hmm. We certainly had, had built his reputation for offensive football. Uh, so for somebody who hasn't seen Auburn play in a while, how would you just describe a Gus Malzahn offense? Um, historically, it is a run first play action offense. This year was kind of the, the antithesis of that because they really struggled to run the football, um, especially during the middle of the season. Um, they, they, they got held under 100 yards rushing in three straight games. That's unheard of for Auburn. Um, they have a redshirt freshman running back and Jatarvius Whitlow. Booby Whitlow is a former high school quarterback and guy's got a chance to be a good player. He really does. But it's been more about the, the lack of consistency from the offensive line that's really bothered this Auburn offense. And, um, you know, you're looking early in the season, you, you played Washington and LSU, um, two of the first three games out of the gate. So it didn't, didn't really get the running, running game untracked. And so uh, they made a change at center and, that didn't help. It only made things worse. And, you know, that, that was a redshirt freshman playing in their center then. And, uh, for six games, he was, uh, he was the guy in the middle of the offensive line. They didn't really play very well on offense at all then. They made the switch back to the veteran guy at the end of the year. Even though you had George and Alabama as two of those games, Auburn actually showed some semblance of, of uh, finding a little something on the offensive line. So we'll see if they can continue that in the bowl game. They actually ran the ball fairly successfully against Alabama in the Iron Bowl. But once Alabama pulled ahead, there was not much they could do in, in terms of, of catching up, running the football. So, um, yeah, but normally it's it's going to be run first play action. And early in his career, it was a lot of tempo, really fast-paced, and that's what he wants to do. And, um, but lately, it hasn't been as much of that, and some of that is by – and not having success, uh, not getting first downs, and not allowing to to kind of get that tempo rolling. But um, you know, we'll see um, if this offense looks any different in a bowl game than it did this year. Mm-hmm. Well, when you look at Purdue's identity on defense, uh, coordinator Nick Holt loves to load the box and try to shut down the run, uh, but. That's come at the expense of the passing game. I mean, Purdue is one of the worst teams in the Big Ten at defending the pass. How does that match up against this version of the Auburn uh, Tigers this season? Actually, this team, um, the weapons on offense um, and the the best playmakers on offense this season were, you know, in the passing game with quarterback Jared Stidham. And then outside, you look, Ryan Davis is the, the, the number one receiver in Auburn history in terms of catches. Um, he has set the, the school record for receptions in a career, and that's in a career that did not have a single catch as a freshman. So basically in three years, he's done that. Uh, Darius Slayton, beside him, is a veteran guy, redshirt junior, that is, is a deep threat. And then they got a pair of freshmen that have really come on. Uh, Seth Williams is a big 6'3", 215-pound physical guy. And then Anthony Schwartz is, is the fastest college football player in the country. He, uh, he finished second in the world championships in the under-18 in the 100 meters last year in Finland. Uh, he's a guy that has uh, has touchdowns rushing, touchdowns receiving, has really played well. And, and this guy that ran 10, 100 meters. Uh, so he is wow. as fast as anybody anywhere. And so they've got some serious weapons outside in the passing game. They just been a, It's been an inconsistency for them, whether it's um, some missed throws at times, um, you know, lack of protection at times, um, the drops at times. They just haven't been able to, to consistently make the plays. They've made them at times. Um, but there's no question that if you start looking at this Auburn offense, the, the, the best part of it this season would be especially that wide receiver group. 
Well, it sounds like a tough matchup for Purdue for sure. Then, um, for especially for you know Purdue's defense has continued to get better as the season has gone on, but overall they're still a young defense, kind of learning its way, finding its way. So, it sounds like a tough matchup for Purdue. How about uh, let's flip over to the other side of the ball. So, when you think of SEC, you think about defenses, and Auburn looks like it has a pretty good one. They're ranked number eighteen in scoring defense this season nationally. Um, how would you describe, I guess, the identity of that defense and what makes them so good? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, physicality up front. Um, even though it, at times they were inconsistent the second half of the season, you look and, and, and it starts with the front seven for this Auburn defense. Um, Derrick Brown, a defensive tackle, a junior guy that could potentially, uh, this could be his last game in an Auburn uniform. Uh, he's a guy that could be a potential first-round draft pick. I think no worse than early second rounder at you know, six five, about three fifteen, uh, a guy that can get up the field and make plays and you know Dontavious Russell beside him is uh, a four year starter at defensive tackle in the SEC, which is, is kind of unheard of outside Nick Coe. Uh, we'll see if he's able to go in a bowl game, had a, a hand injury late in the year, but I, I think he may he may be able to go by then. But uh, Marlon Davidson, a three year starter, is just a junior at one defensive end is you know two hundred two hundred seventy five, two hundred and eighty pounds of physical guy. Um, and then Big Cat Bryant is a is a guy that comes off the edge and provides a pass rush. So, you know, they've done a good job rushing the passer, but they don't have one dynamic pass rusher. It's just kind of been by by, the, by a group effort. And obviously, you play Purdue and, and, and this offense, you, you got to be able to get some pressure on a quarterback. So that'll be the challenge for Auburn. But three senior linebackers, uh, Deshaun Davis in the middle, over 100 tackles, and a guy that was a first-team All-ACC linebacker. He's kind of the heart and soul of this Auburn defense and a guy that is, is the leader of that group. But, you know, they call him – he's the coach on the field. So um, there's some veterans up front. And then youth in the secondary has really come on, and uh, they played fairly well. Now, obviously, when you, when you play Alabama and, and, and a healthy uh, Tua um uh, in, in the Iron Bowl, uh, they got it rolling pretty good against Auburn. And they, uh, I think you, you look at uh, – they scored 51 against Auburn, and, and that really inflated that uh, scoring defense number there at the end of the year. So um, this is an Auburn defense that I expect to have, uh, I think, a, a a pretty good mindset going into the bowl game, trying to finish out the season on a high note. Mm-hmm. It sounds like uh, against a physical front seven, that's going to be a challenge for any team to run the football. And really, Purdue has struggled this season to run the football in general. They've pretty much had to set up the run with the pass. So, you know, Purdue really is, they're a passing team, pass first and probably pass second team. Uh, right now, they rank 10th nationally in passing offense in terms of yards. Uh, what kind of, how would you describe Auburn's secondary and how do they match up from, from that standpoint in terms of going off, up against a, a pass-happy ha- type of offense? Yeah, you know they've they've had some success this season. Uh, I would say probably the maybe the, the biggest comparison would be a team like Ole Miss that throws it you know almost exclusively and uses that to set up the run. That was probably one of Auburn's better defensive games of the year. You look outside and, and Ole Miss probably has two potential first round draft picks at wide receiver. Jordan Tommy was a good quarterback, and um, Auburn played very well in that game. So when you look at it, that's probably the, other than Alabama probably the team that has thrown the ball the most, but, you know, teams have had success. And really, other than Alabama, who, you know, of course, when you look at their talent level, they, they're able to do just about anything they want to most of the time on offense. The other teams have had success by throwing the ball up in one-on-one situations. And, and if you have big physical receivers, that's kind of been the, the bugaboo for Auburn. They've done a good job um, at containing um, – the shallow crosses, the quick game, all those things, because they got some good tacklers in the secondary. But if there's been any bugaboo, it's probably been the deep ball down the field, one-on-one situations that, that have given them some issues. That's interesting because Purdue really does like throwing the deep ball. That's pretty much the staple of their offense. So uh, we'll have to see how Purdue does with that. How about, uh, you know, the guy that nobody could stop in the Big Ten was Rondale Moore, Purdue's speedy five foot eight wide receiver he runs like a four three three forty yard dash he could squat 600 pounds uh how does auburn match up do they have a guy that could keep up with somebody like rondale moore yeah i think it, it all depends on really if if junior javaris davis is ready to go i think he's probably he may be the key for auburn's defense in this whole game he's a guy that is has battled some injuries throughout the year, but he's a legit 4-3 guy uh, and, and can match up in the in the slot uh, as a nickel, a guy that you can move around some. But, uh, you know, you also got Noe Benogany, who is a guy that um, – 
is is a track uh, triple jumper does some of those things both his parents were in the olympics he's got to play wide receiver wow. a season ago just just moved to defense in the spring but he's really become maybe auburn's best corner back there six foot you know 195 pounds he's not small but he can really run so they've got some guys from a speed standpoint they can match up but uh i think javaris davis is a guy that they really need to play and to play well because you're not going to stop rondell moore what you have to do is try to limit those big plays and you know for the most part Auburn's done a good job of that but um i think that's obviously going to be the key uh when these two teams match up the other big key for Purdue's offense is a tight end named Bryson Hopkins, who's actually from the Nashville area originally. So he'll want to have a big game here. How how has Auburn done against tight ends? They've done a fairly good job. Uh, you know, Jay Sternberger's a kid from Texas A&M that, that, that made a couple of plays against Auburn. And so they've uh, they've had to face a, a, a receiving tight end this year. So uh, that was probably the, the biggest challenge they've had in that regard all year other than you know, Alabama um, tight end made some plays against him as well. So uh, I think if you look at Auburn, it's one of those situations from a tight end standpoint. If you limit the running game um, and, and and make you know Purdue become one dimensional, then that that helps to take some of that tight end threat away. If you're not worried about the running game as much, so I would imagine from an Auburn perspective, they're always going to lean towards a um, you know Purdue's going to throw it. You know, they're going to throw it and be successful. What you can't let them do is have success running the ball. And my guess is that'll be the focus for, uh, for Kevin Steele and that Auburn defense. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've as we've had this discussion, you've mentioned guys who have parents in the Olympics, guys who have track speed. Obviously, there's fantastic athletes who have the possibility of playing in the NFL on Auburn's roster. Are there any guys who are planning to sit out in the game, and could that impact things at all? You know, at the moment um, – you know, everybody looks like they're going to play. Derek Brown's a guy that's already said he's going to play, uh, um, provided that um, that he doesn't have. He, he's expecting uh, a, a, a baby boy here soon, and so uh, that could be the only thing that impacts him. Jared Sidham, quarterback, right now, uh, looks like he's going to play. Other than that, I think everybody right now is scheduled to play. Um, and, yeah, some guys that, um, that I think will play in the NFL – but I think Derek Brown's really the only one, and it's it probably a second, third round type guy. Everybody else, your guys, I think, will play in the NFL, but probably need another year of seasoning. And so normally those guys uh, you know, don't hold out in a, in a bowl game situation. So I think Auburn should be you know, pretty close to full strength uh, for this game. Well, it sounds like Purdue should have its work cut out for him. Uh, how about to put you on the spot a little bit? Have you put any thought into who might win this one? Do you have any kind of a prediction yet? Not yet, but uh, you know I think. Anytime you look at bowl games, you know, talent level, all those things almost go out the window a little bit because a lot of times it comes down to motivation. You know, which team is motivated the most? I mean, you know, this time last year, you know, we were kind of going into to a bowl game knowing that Auburn was probably in trouble because Auburn, uh, you know, played Georgia in an SEC championship game, um, lost that one and lost the chance to, to make the college football playoffs. The reward was to play an undefeated UCF team that was fighting for respect, and you knew it was going to be a difficult situation. You know, Auburn had had more talent. You know, UCF's a talented football team, but that's one where the, the, there was a obviously a more motivated team. Um, not sure which way I, I feel about this one yet. Obviously, Purdue's going to be very motivated because this is a big opportunity against a team like Auburn, a program like Auburn, and you also you know have a coach that just burned his alma mater to. To stay and to, you want to you want to kind of prove him right and play well for Auburn. Yeah, it's one of two things. You either use this as a springboard for 2019, um, and there's an opportunity to do that. When when you look at, at you know past history, Auburn has when they they won a couple of bowl games and really kick started good seasons the next year. Flip side is you, you kind of let that hang over from the season carry over. I'm not really sure. Um, how that'll go, I think we'll get a better idea when Auburn you know, it, it starts to get on back on the practice field uh, coming up this Thursday. So, um, you know, I think this Auburn team should be motivated, but, um, you know, Purdue can, can score points. And, and so this Auburn offense really, uh, other than a couple of games, has not scored points in bunches really against anybody. And so I think it's going to be a very difficult game for Auburn because uh, I think, you know, it probably takes – um, 27 to 30 maybe to win this game and they haven't shown that a whole lot this year well it should be a fun one for sure yeah I like I love the matchup of you know Purdue's high-powered offense versus uh you know 
physical, tough SEC defense. I think that's definitely going to be one to watch for sure. Well, Jason, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Uh, you guys can go ahead and follow Jason on Twitter. Uh, his Twitter handle is at ITATJason. Uh, so thanks so much for the time. Jason, look forward to meeting you down there in Nashville. Yep, sounds good. I appreciate it. That does it for this week's edition of the Boiler Upload podcast. I want to thank all three of our guests, Bryson Hopkins, Jason Caldwell, and Matt Stevens for being on the show. Hey, if you guys like the show, please remember to give it a five-star review in iTunes. It's a great way to let my boss know that I still to have, deserve to have my job. Uh, also, while you're at it, please like my Facebook page. Boiler Upload is the name of that Facebook page. And you can find me on Twitter at Mike DeFabo. This is actually going to be the last podcast of the year. We're going to take a one-week break, but we'll be back after the new year with plenty to talk about as Big Ten basketball play resumes. We'll also give out some uh, football season superlatives and much more, so you'll definitely want to hit that subscribe button. Well, thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on the Boiler Upload Podcast.